Anyway, when we think about rethinking your life, we're, we're talking about the need for repentance. And repentance is something that, uh, for some reason, it has come across as being kind of old and... Uh, Repentance has been something that's uh, not looked upon in a positive way. We think of the guy with the bullhorn, you know, going around the bullhorn and shouting in the bullhorn, you know, turn or burn, you know, repent or die. Uh, but anyway, the whole idea of repentance is simply this, change your mind, change your mind. And one of the things that we have to do when you change your mind is you have to change your mind about God. Change your mind about who He is, about what He's doing. Change your mind about your relationship with Him. And so today we're going to focus on thinking differently about God. Amen. There is a Psalm, Psalm 145 and verse 3, and it says the following, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Amen. Great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. So we have to think about God in an expanded way. We have to think about God in a, in a large way in terms of thinking all about who he is. And there's six ways that we want to do that today. And so I'm going to share these with you one at a time. The first one is this. I must accept his unconditional love. I must accept his unconditional love. You know, it's, it's one of those things that's very difficult for us to put our arms around, even our heads around, the fact that God loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that you have to do in order to prove yourself to God. There's nothing you have to do in order to show yourself to be worthy of his love. God has chosen to love you. God loves you exactly the way you are. God knows every detail of your life. And God wants to transform you into that image of himself. In the process, though, you have to accept his unconditional love. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift, so that no one can boast about it. You know, we are saved and blessed as a result of God's gift of his grace. You didn't earn anything for his grace, you simply need to receive it and say thank you. It's hard for us to do that. You know, we, we're in this society of, of giving and expecting and so on, and we work hard, and at the end of the year or the end of two years, whatever, five years, you might at work get a great big like bonus or something for the work that you did, and they say thank you, here, here's a bonus. And you take the bonus, you, take, you say to yourself, you say, thank you, I finally get what I deserve. You don't think about a bonus as a gift, do you? A bonus is something you got because you worked hard. 
and they're expecting you to work just as hard next year or the five years after that, whatever the case may be. But when it comes to God's grace, God's grace is unconditional. It is a gift. It is not something that you can earn. It's not something you can work for. It is something that God has chosen to give to you, which is really, really, really very, very, very important. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. We have peace because of what he has done for us. We don't have peace because of what we've done for him. We don't have peace because the, all of a sudden the world decided to stop all of its foolishness. I was having a conversation with an individual this last week, and he was sharing with me all the reasons why we have so much trouble. And he said, it's all about religion. And I, I kept telling him, as we were talking, I kept inserting the fact that religion is what man has done. It's what man seeks to do. Religion is different from having a relationship with God. The problem may be religion in the world, but it's not about relationship. People who have a relationship with God, they are different. They are different. So we have to accept his unconditional love. We have to walk in that every day. Every day you and I have to experience and know he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us, he'll always be with us, and he will always bless us. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. God is always there for us. We need to accept that unconditional love. You know, when it says unconditional, there's a reason. Unconditional. There are no conditions that are placed on his love. Obviously, when it comes to God's love for us, God chooses to love us and bless us, but he doesn't love us and bless us just simply because we are bad or do bad things. It means that he loves us and his love is tailored to what we need. A father loves his children, a mother loves her children, and a father who loves his children will discipline his children. Sometimes that love is reflected in, in discipline, sometimes it's, it's reflected in pleasure. So the unconditional part is that you don't have to do anything to prove that you are loved by God. You have to accept that. that. Secondly, you have to appreciate his holiness. You have to appreciate his holiness. You know, there's something about God, obviously, there's something about him that's different. And the different thing about God is that there's no sin in God. There's no unholiness in God. God is perfect. God is pure. God is completely and 100% uh, holy. That is to say, he's unique and special. Somebody said that holiness is kind of like, like a potluck on a Sunday. Because the food that's been, been made for the potluck is specifically for the potluck. It is holy for the potluck. You know, so if any of you guys or 
Any of you young'uns tried to steal any of that food this morning? You know your mother said, no, 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 that's for the potluck. That is holy food. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to, you know, to cookies or whatever that's made for, for church. They are separate. They're holy. God is holy. God is separate. There's nothing about him that's, that's thwarted. There's nothing about him that is, needs to be fixed. He's 100% perfect. And he is all about being a holy and a gracious God. And we have to appreciate his holiness. We have to accept that. It goes along with accepting his grace in our lives. We have to accept his grace. We also have to accept his holiness. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2 it says, No one is holy like the Lord. Amen. There was no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. There is no one like God. God is holy. God is not only holy and separate because he's, he desires to have a relationship with us, but there's also truth in terms of his life and the way that he does things. There's nothing wrong with God. There's no errors in God. There's nothing that needs to be fixed about God. God is already complete and fixed. Psalm 33 and verse 21, he says, Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. We trust in his holy name. I really appreciate Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, Isaiah says, I am the high and holy God who lives forever. I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who are humble and repentant so that I can restore their confidence and their hope, which is part of what God is, is in the process of doing. You know, accepting, appreciating His holiness means that, that we don't have to be uncomfortable with who He is. Sometimes we're not comfortable with God being God because God is holy. And he magnifies my unholiness. He magnifies what needs to be fixed. Don't let that scare you because in his holiness, he won't reject you, especially if you come humbly before him. He'll fix you. He'll fix you. That's what God desires so much to do. The third thing today is I must trust his judgment. I must trust his judgment. You know, I think it's funny. Uh, even Martha this morning was leading and, and made this comment that, you know, we, we, sometimes we get ahead of ourselves or, you know, we're, we do things and we forget some little pieces here and there. But God doesn't. God's judgment and his ways are right. I think of Psalm 19. You might just pen this down in your notes. Psalm 19 and read about the law of the Lord. It's perfect. But when you think about this truth, trusting his judgment, you know, God knows what we need exactly when we need it, and he knows how we need what we need. He gives us his judgment. And it's interesting that we, we really fight the judgment of God. We like to have it our way. We like to set life and... Uh, deal with life as we see best 
and we like to live it out in a way that's kind of makes sense to us and we like it. We don't like to trust God's judgment. We like to trust our own judgment. Amen. And we often get in trouble because of that. Here's, a, here's a, from the paraphrase of the message, Romans 9.20. He says, who in the world do you think you are? Who do you think you are to second guess God? Do you, for one moment, suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it, saying, why did you shape me like this? You never see clay doing that. Here's another one, Hebrews 12, verse 7. Be patient when you are being corrected. This is how God treats his children. Don't all parents correct their children? Now, it might take us a little while, and I hope you don't mind, but I, I, uh, it's not on your notes, but you might want to just jot down Job 38 and 39. Job 38 and 39. And uh, I don't know that we'll read it all, but I want to read some of this to you because it's really, it's really hilarious. I think it's hilarious. In Job chapter 38 and 39, God speaks to Job. It says, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, who is this who obscures my course and my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? The world's. Certainly you know, right? Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come thus far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning or assigned the dawn its place so it may seize the edges of the earth and shake the wicked out of it? The earth is changed as clay is by a seal. Its hills stand out like folds of a garment Light is withheld from the wicked, and the arm raised in violence is broken. Have you traveled to the source of the sea, or walked in the depths of the oceans? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me, tell me if you know all this. Where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where darkness lives? 
so you can lead it back to its borders? Are you familiar with the paths to its home? Don't you know? You were already born. You have lived so long. Have you entered the place where snow is stored? Have you seen the storehouses of hail? which I hold in reserve for times of trouble, for the day of warfare and battle? What road leads to a place where light is dispersed? Where is the source of the east wind that spreads across the earth? Who cuts a channel for the flooding rain or clears the way for lightning? To bring rain on an uninhabited land, on a desert with no human life, to satisfy the parched wasteland and cause the grass to sprout, Does the rain have a father who fathered the drops of dew? Whose womb did the ice come from? Who gave birth to the frost of heaven? When water becomes as hard as stone and the surface of the waterway and the depths is frozen, can you fasten the chains of the palades or loosen the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the constellations in their season and lead the bear and her cubs? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you impose its authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water's jars of heaven? When the dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together, can you hunt, pray for lioness, for a lioness? Or satisfy the appetite of young lions? when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs? Who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Have you watched deer in labor? Can you count the months they are pregnant so you can know the time they give birth? They crouch down to give birth to their young. They deliver their newborn. Their offspring are healthy and grow up in the open field. They leave and do not return. Who set the wild donkey free? Who released the swift donkey from its harness? I made the desert its home and the salty wasteland its dwelling. It scoffs at the noise of the village and never hears the shouts of a driver, (laughs) the donkey. It roams the mountains for its pasture land, search for anything green. Would the wild ox be willing to serve you? Would it spend the night by your feeding trough? Can you hold a wild ox to a furry furrow by its harness? Will it plow the valleys behind you? Can you depend on on it because its strength is great? Would you leave it to do your work, your hard work? Can you trust the wild ox to harvest your grain and bring it to threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but are her feathers and plumage like the storks? 
She abandons her eggs on the ground and lets them be warmed in the sand. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not her own, with no fear that her labor may have been in vain. For God has deprived her of wisdom. He has not endowed her with understanding. When she proudly spreads her wings, she laughs at the horse and its rider. Do you give strength to the horse? Do you adorn his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His proud snorting fills one with terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He charges into battle. He laughs at fear. Since he is afraid of nothing, he does not run from the sword. A quiver rattles at his side along with a flashing spear and a javelin. He charges ahead with trembling rage. He cannot stand still at the sound of the ram's horn. When the ram's horn blasts, he snorts defiantly. He smells the battle from a distance. He hears the officer's shouts and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your understanding and spread its wings to the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and make its nest on high? It lives on a cliff where it spends the night. Its stronghold is on a rocky crag. From there it searches for prey. Its eyes penetrate the distance. Its brood gulps down blood, and where the slain are, it is there. I wanted to read that to you because... For one thing, when I read it, it just made me laugh. You know, can you do this? Can you do that? Were you there? You know, no, I wasn't. I don't know. Well, you're not God, so you don't know. God knows these things. Proverbs 14 and verse 12 says, There's a path before each person that seems right, but the end of that path is death. So there's a way that seems right. We live that way. We think it's the right way to go for us. It only turns out in trouble and difficulty. Or Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6 says the following, Think about him in all your ways, and he will guide you in the right paths. In the right paths. We don't understand these things. In fact, the person I was talking to about about God and religion and all of that, one of the things that he kept telling me was that it was the ideas of religious people And their desire to control and force everybody to conform that was causing the greatest difficulty in the wars that have spanned all of the centuries. And I had to agree with him that that's probably true. There's a lot of that there. But uh, he was trying to persuade me that, you know, you have to believe these things. You have to see these things to believe them. And I said, yes, you have to see things to believe them. I said, you know, historical figures are figures that people saw, Alexander, Cyrus the Great, so on. Yeah, he said, people saw them in life. I said, that's right. Just like Jesus was seen in his life. Well, yeah, he was seen, but then he died, right? They all died. I said, yeah, Jesus died, but three days later he rose again, and over 400 people saw him. He said, really? I said, yeah, it's all recorded right there in the Bible for you. Tells you who he met with, who he talked to, and all the people that he saw. 
He said, you're kidding. I said, no, he's alive. He's alive. So you have to remember that God has given us a whole new perspective. And when people think about Jesus coming and they think about it religiously, they often think about how Jesus has come to condemn us. Jesus has come to set us straight. Well, there are religious groups that speak that way and teach that way, but the Bible doesn't. Listen to John chapter 3 and verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty. There's no need for God to tell you you're guilty. You already know that. There's no need for anybody in the world to feel like God came to say, you bad. You got a problem. When everybody in the world knows they got a problem. They don't want to admit it sometimes, but they got a problem. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God came to save us, not to judge us. We're already in judgment. We walk in judgment. So we have to accept and understand God's judgment. Accept and understand God's plan, which is the next thing. Number four, I must understand his timing. I must understand his timing. Have you ever felt kind of frustrated with God's timing? If you haven't, you haven't been around very long. You got a little time, you know, you'll find out. You want something to happen, it doesn't happen, and you keep saying, God, I'm doing everything I can. It's supposed to be this way, and it doesn't happen that way. His timing is on his schedule, not on our schedule. We'd like it to be on our schedule, but it's not. God knows what you need. God knows everything about you. God knows every aspect of your life. He knows what you need now, and he knows what you need this afternoon. He knows what you need this week. He knows all of that, and he's in the process of, of laying that out. He will give you what you need in your time. In your time. That's why it's so frustrating when you meet people who are just kind of flexible with God. God can do whatever he wants, and people that are that are definers and people that are strategizers and people that set things in order and try to manage stuff, it's kind of rough. You know, they gotta, they got to relax, you know. they got to take a little chill pill and say that i gotta, I got to wait on God's timing. I can't force this on God. And you can, never can. You can never demand that God do for you in your timing. You have to wait for His timing, which is really a, a challenge. Big challenge. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You got to wait for the Lord. You know, it reminds me of the old uh, Negro spiritual, you know, that, that he's going to come and he may not come on your time, but he's always on time. Or reminds me on a lower level of Gandalf, you know, as he's riding into the Shire. And uh, not Bilbo, the, the other hobbit. Frodo runs up and sees him and he says, you're late. And Gandalf says, late? 
No, I'm on time. A, a wizard is never late. Yeah, well, God is never late. God is always on time. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises. As some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. So we have to rejoice in God's gracious favor where he is patient with us. He's patient with, with uh, those around us. He's also patient in terms of our own lives are concerned and how he's dealing with us. There are things that God wants us to get before we get things that God want, we want God to give. There are certain things that are already ours and we can have them, but sometimes we can't enjoy them and don't understand the blessings of them because we're not ready for them. We're not ready for them. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8, Isaiah says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. God ways, God's ways are bigger, stronger. God's ways are different and unique. And so we need to look for his ways and just chill out that we don't get our ways. There is a way that seems right. We mentioned a minute ago to a man, but the end of there is death. So don't, don't push your way. Your way could turn out to be very painful. Your way could turn out to be very horrible. I was talking to somebody else this last week and just uh, interacting about the life of children and how, how you know, when, when children live their lives and do things the way God wants them to do, they, they are blessed and you just see it before you. And then on the other hand, you have children, some of them who are just, just flat out stubborn and just flat out, you know, standing up against God and they would like God to just leave them alone so they can live their lives. And the problem is that when you stand up against God like that, he leaves you alone. And uh, I got to tell you that it's wonderful to have God interact in your life, even though sometimes it's a, it's a challenge and it requires change, but it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing to have God working in your life, doing the things that he wants to do, because if he leaves you alone, you're, you're going to end up with lots of difficulty and lots of trouble. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. So if he's out of the picture, which he never is, but if we insist on having it our way, then we also need to expect to get what we get by having it our way. Which is a challenge. Point number five, I must respect his strength. I must respect his strength. Psalm 18 and verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. My place of safety. I have to respect God's strength. I have to rely on his grace by accepting it, his unconditional love. 
I have to accept His holiness, all the things we've already talked about. But now we find ourselves in a place where we need to respect His strength. We need to stop pretending that God is not strong enough. You know, some of us, we don't think God can handle us. We wouldn't say that. We'd never say that. But we act like it. You know, God's not big enough for me and my problems. God can't handle it. And we, we do this by, by expressing to God, literally we express to God his inadequacy in dealing with the challenges that we're facing because we don't believe in him to do the right thing or trust him to have a solution for us. So we, we find ourselves not trusting in his strength not relying and respecting his strength. We need to let God handle what concerns us today. We need to allow God to handle the challenges that we're facing today. You know, as you and I give our lives and our challenges to God today, God can provide a direction and an answer tomorrow. He doesn't need to wait for a long time. He can even give it to you today. But still, you need to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Romans 2.4, again, in the paraphrase of the message, he says, do you think that because he's such a nice God that he lets you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Firmly by the hand. You know, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and you're walking out and your, your mom or dad come walking over and they say, give me your hand. And they take your hand, they walk with you across the street because there's a lot of dangers in the street, cars and so on. And uh, you have to be mindful of those things. Well, when it comes to God, we need to put our hand in God's hand and let God take us. God's going to protect us. God will provide for us. God will make a way there where where there seems to be no way. He is a wonderful and a faithful God. The last point today, really a big one. It's going to take us a little while, but it's really important And that is, I must enjoy his presence. There's a lot of people that don't enjoy the presence of God. They tolerate the presence of God. They put up with the presence of God. But enjoying his presence, that's what we're supposed to do. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, the Bible says, You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. His presence gives us joy. His presence gives us peace. His presence gives us comfort. Kind of reminds me a little bit of this last week. I I went to to the hospital to visit and I, uh, I went to the door and Pushed the door a little bit. It was all dark inside, and and I heard I heard Jill talking to somebody. Anyway, I went in and closed the door a little bit, 
snuck in and sat down on a chair. And she just kept talking to her brother. And when she was done talking to her brother and finished, she said goodbye and stuff and put the phone, stopped the phone anyway. And after a little bit, I said, Jill? I snuck in and she didn't even see me. She didn't know I was there. God's presence, enjoying his presence for, forever. We need to relish the presence of God. God is always present. Whether we accept it or not, he's always present. You remember Isaiah? What did Isaiah say when he saw the Lord? It says in Isaiah chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. One called to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. His glory fills the whole earth. Or Psalm 16 and verse 8 says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. I know the Lord is always with me. You know, we have to celebrate the presence of the Lord. We have to enjoy his presence. Isaiah goes on in verse 4, says, The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of the voices of the angels, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone or ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he put it on his lips and cleansed him. The presence of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord is present not to change or to transform or to do anything. Sometimes the Lord is present just to be there for us and to comfort us in our affliction, in our mourning, and our sorrow. Psalm 42.1, a verse that you've memorized, I'm sure. 42.1, not 2. So it's not on the screen. It says, As the deer pants for water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. And then verse 42 says this, My soul thirsts for God. For the living God, when I can go and meet with God. Or Psalm 8, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba. Father. When you think about his presence, you think about his strength and power, his love, his unconditional care. There is a there is a very important fact that needs to be considered here this morning, and that is God is not distant, God is not far away, God is present. And God has given us a new name to call him. Father. Father. And I know that some of you have gone through life 
not having a great relationship with your earthly father. And you thought about, have thought about your earthly father and thought about how that translates into your heavenly father and somehow it just doesn't compute for you. Well, I want you to start off today. We're going to take a few moments. I want you to reflect on this. God is the father you never had. God is the comforting, caring father, not like your earthly father, your heavenly father. He's always been there for you. He's already always cared for you. He's always loved you. Your father, your earthly father may have been distant. Your earthly father may have not known any better. Your earthly father may have been sick. Your earthly father may have been absent. Your earthly father may have mistreated you. I don't know. But I just want to assure you today that your heavenly father is not your earthly father. And you need to affirm that your heavenly father is everything that you imagined a father would be. He is loving, caring. He is a confidant. He is there for you to help you, not to embarrass you. Your father is there to give you wisdom and strength and direction and to give you counsel. He's not there just to correct you so that you can behave better in his presence. Your father is there to help you become everything you as a man or woman were made by him to be. So I want you to take a minute right now, if you would, and just just bow your head. Some of you need to affirm that you have a new father and you rejoice in that. Some of you had a good father. If you have, you need to just thank God for your father, your earthly father. But either way, you need to thank God today that you have a father in heaven who is everything that your father on earth could never be. He's perfect, loving, unconditional, holy, caring, present in every situation of your life. So just bow your head and just say, Father, in your own heart, just say, Father, I thank you for being my father. I thank you for loving me the way you do. I thank you for providing for me the way you do. I thank you for being in my life every day. You're a great father. You're dependable. You're always there for every meeting. You're always there for every event of my life. I thank you that you are a father for me, a father like no other, and a father who is far beyond any earthly father ever could be. I thank you for that. And Father, I know that sometimes for me, Uh, just tell the Lord, Father, sometimes for me, my father was not what I needed or what I wanted. And yet I want to thank you today that you are a father for me who is everything a father could be and is. Thank you, Father. I bless you today and I thank you for affirming that in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to say for those of you who affirmed that in prayer today for the first time or maybe a second or third time, I don't know. I just want to tell you what a privilege and what a blessing it is to be able to have that kind of relationship, to know that today when you leave this place, 
you're not leaving alone. You're not leaving unguarded and unguided. You're leaving protected. You're leaving as a special son or daughter of the Most High God. And he's not just the strong and mighty God. He is the precious, tender, and wonderful Father that you need. Sometimes you probably think, as I do sometimes, I wish I could get it. I wish I could understand these things. And sometimes you need to just simply say, Lord, I need you to open up my mind so I can get it. Because I just can't get it. There's too many, too many things in this brain of mine that are blocking it. I need you to open my mind. Remember there were a couple of disciples that were on their way to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection. And he hung out with them. And he said the following in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. It says, then Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This morning you can just leave here saying, Lord, thank you for opening my mind. Open it some more. I want to understand. I want to get this. I want to embrace it for my life. Because once you do, you see things differently. You see things new. You experience repentance. It's so easy to change when you get it. It's so easy to change when you understand it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. It says, but God has given us his spirit. We need his word. We need his spirit. That's why we don't think the same way that people of this world think. We think differently. We're not perfect. We don't arrive and all of a sudden you become a Christian and now you're holier than thou. No. We understand that we have a ways to go. But that's also why we can recognize the blessings that God has given us. We recognize these blessings because God has given them to us. We appreciate his work in our lives. We embrace that. And we end today with the same verse we started with. Psalm 145 and verse 3. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. Today, it's my prayer that you and I will leave here with these six things mulling around in our brains, especially your new identity, a new father, filling your mind with his love and grace and who he is. Let's pray together as we close out our time in the word. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that you have loved us unconditionally and blessed us. We thank you for these truths. We pray, Father, that you would bless each one of our lives help us to understand and embrace these truths. Thank you, Father, for your amazing grace, your timing, your holiness. Thank you for your power, your grace. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for giving us exactly what we need, when we need it, how we need it. You're a good, good yes. Father. And we thank you for that. Bless your kids in Jesus' name.